What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 111. That's unlucky for some. Yeah, it's unlucky for some, but somehow, lucky for us, we have not been cancelled yet. The authorities have not knocked <laughs> on our doors. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the talent, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you today? I'm well. Uh, you're all lucky I'm joining you. Um, I'm glad they haven't knocked on your door yet, but obviously... They came to my door first. I'm sorry. I just didn't have the heart to tell you. Um, Wait, are, are you saying that we've been doing this to no one? <laughs> How long have we been doing this show to no one? You just figured out that no one was listening. I yes. mean, like. <laughs> You've been paying those people in chat, haven't you? <laughs> those Russian bots come cheap, my friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, how hard have you seen this? I could daily get a Twitter campaign um, uh, going, no worries at all. A friend of mine, a friend of ours, a friend of a show, Julian Smith and, and Greg um, McFalse name have uh, started a podcast. Oh, fucking copycats. Um, I know, they're copycats. Um, but they've been working on it now for about, I want to say six weeks to two months. And yeah. that's the first episode. Wow. Um, and See, I, we've got, we're more reliable than that. <laughs> Maybe that's because they put effort in and they write things and oh. edit things and um and that sort of thing uh but uh, i i've been trying to start a, a twitter campaign uh to hashtag release the smith cut <laughs> oh, that's it's it's just going to be a thing now it's going to be release, release the dot, dot, dot. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh am i getting are you getting any feedback at your end of me cuz i can hear some no. in my headphones no i'm not no, I'm not hearing any, anything back. Hmm, okay, well, uh, well, dear listeners, you're just going to have to tolerate it. Um, Sorry. <laughs> maybe I can just hear it in my headphones. I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, audio issues, it never happens. Uh, not in this show. Not in this show. We are professionals. Yeah. Um, well, should we just walk, crack let, on? Well, let's, let, I'll just do a bit of a rundown of what we're going to be talking about this week. Do that. Um, we've got... Uh, we, we we always say, oh, we've not got much to talk about and then talk for <laughs> hours. But we've got things to talk about. We have got our chain movie of the week following on from Layer Cake. We are going to the Steven Seagal classic Under Siege. And then Travis will be leading us on. He has already picked where we will be going next. Um, we have managed to... Did you watch all of season one of uh, Invincible now? I finished watching it all now, yes. Mm -hmm. So we'll be talking about that. We've both got a chance to go and see the new Mortal Kombat. Uh, Travis uh, took a trip to the dark side of the ring, and I checked out the Michael B. Jordan movie Without Remorse. I'm very curious to hear about that because mm. I know nothing about it. So uh, mm. I'm it's not just our audience anticipating hearing your thoughts. It's me for a mm. Um, it's the first time for everything. <laughs> so, uh, should we crack on with our chain film of the week? I think we should. Yes. Now, this, is, see, this is George had the keys last week, and mm -hmm. he has taken us back to 1992. What a glorious time it was. Um, <laughs> for action films, at least. Innocent. I know, right. Um, who could forget 
all of those popular bands who were making yeah. music in yeah. 1992. Like, <laughs> I think like, Billy, Ray, Billy Ray Cyrus might have had a big hit that year, I think. Did um, he ever actually have a big hit? Because I don't know. Uh, I really wish I didn't. Um, but um, interesting, interesting sub fact. Uh, my favorite musician, uh, mm. Trent Reznor of Nine Canals, last week won his second Oscar uh, mm-hmm. for, for Soul, which we didn't talk about the Oscars. But then again, no, it was it was an old one this year. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm actually secretly proud of him because he's one of my favorite musicians, and he's got two Oscars now. And I never thought ever he would be the kind of guy who would win Oscars. Um, yeah, you don't exactly kind of think, oh yeah. That's that's absolutely going to work, you know. Nine Inch Nails, Oscar band. <laughs> then again, if he did the music for Seven back in the nineties, and I still think that's freaking awesome. But anyway, um, he uh, Billy Ray Cyrus had a, a song I think a year or two ago, where called Old Town Road, which I'm not very familiar with, but I know it was a big hit. Interestingly, he sampled Nine Inch Nails. That Nine Inch Nails was sampled in that song, so Nine Inch Nails accredited as Trent Reznor. Is credited as a songwriter for that song. Okay. Um, and so, um, weird Billy Ray Cyrus fact you didn't think you were getting at when you signed in tonight to have a listen about Under Siege, but we like to under promise and over deliver. That's just how we roll around here. Um, <laughs> under Siege. Um, under Siege. What is Under Siege? Um, an ex Navy SEAL turned cook is the only person who can stop a group of terrorists when they seize control of a US battleship. Uh, this can be summed up in a fairly simply in one sentence, die hard on a boat. Yes. Um, pretty much all it is, but Hey, the die hard formula kind of works. That's why we've had die hard on the boat. We had die hard on a plane, Air Force One. Mm-hmm. Um, you had die hard in the white house, which is white house down. White house down. Olympus has fallen. They've done it twice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a really common formula and it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we had a diehard in space. If not, I shouldn't give them ideas. We basically did. There, there was that um, the Guy Pierce one. Oh, yeah. I can't remember what it was called. It wasn't bad, but it was just kind of like, okay, that's a thing then. Sure. <laughs> uh, so it's a really common formula here, mm-hmm. um, but I would like to say that I think this is one of the better clones of, of Die Hard, if, apart from the Die Hard sequels that work. Mm. Um, this is the only Steven Seagal film to get mm. a fresh Rotten Tomatoes rating. Yep. That's and if anyone has ever watched any other Steven Seagal movies, Eric Forrest, I'm looking at you. They are a genre unto themselves. They fall neither good nor bad. They are just there. <laughs> I, I choose to differ with that. I saw on Deadly Ground. <laughs> it's objectively bad. <laughs> objectively um, i'll tell you something if you want a true steven seagal experience check out his music oh, oh yeah it is the perfect music to put on at the end of a party when you want people to slowly start going because it's like it's got a little bit of a cu- kind of cool little beat going and you're like oh, okay what's this wait okay i'm bye <laughs> I see your uh, Steven Seagal music and I raise you a Jeremy Renner. Oh, 
She just got real, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think we've come up with a new wheel of Heigl. <laughs> it's music it's of celebrities. Celebrity record. I mean, uh, I, I discovered last week that uh, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt had a short and uh, notable music career at the start of her um, fame. Uh, yes, she covered Heart of Glass by Blondie. Do listen to it, ladies and gentlemen. It's on the YouTubes. Um so, what is Under Siege? For, I have spoken to people this week who have not seen this film. So, really? we, we, it's just weird. I think even people our age who have not seen the film. Um, wow. The, stu the okay. students at uni I go to school with, I imagine, who were not born, uh, were not a twinkle in anyone's eye. Their parents might have been born. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, so, what is it? So, basically, we are on a, the USS Missouri. Mm -hmm. He's actually a notable uh, American battleship, which was... Yes. I think built after Pearl Harbor and it was yeah. actually the ship that the Japanese surrender was signed on. Mm. It was on the USS Missouri. Mm. Um, and we meet Steven Seagal, who is a cook uh, on Casey the Ryback. Uh, Casey Ryback, who was a cook on the ship. And early on, we learn that he has some kind of relationship with uh, Captain Adams, mm. um, played by Patrick O'Neill here. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're preparing for an upcoming party. Uh, mm. I think the president's coming to visit or something. Um, but in the end, it turns there's something like there was a party coming up, and he oh, went. No, it, it was the captain's retirement party. I thought the president was coming. There's a party, something's yeah. happening. I don't know. I wasn't really <laughs> paying attention. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, but we realized quickly early on that there's a relationship between Captain Adams and and Casey. Mm. Uh, in the sense, he's not wearing his dress uniform, which is the the white uniform the Navy people mm -hmm. wear. And he's like, if I had your ribbons, I would wear them to bed. Mm. Um, that didn't go over my head. Because I'm really observant like that with these little subtle mm -hmm. cues. But the yep. film, you know, the use of Steven Seagal as a Christ figure. You know, these sort of things that are really, you know, buried layers of mm -hmm. subtext. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, True lore moments. We also meet uh, Commander Krill, played by the one, the only, Gary Busey. In one of his most gloriously unhinged roles. Yeah. Um, and it's very obvious that Canada Krill and Casey do not get along. There's quite a bit of aggro between the two of them. Um, and before too long, we, we, we find out in great detail exactly where Commander Krill's uh, antagonism is coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess we get to the interesting part. The, it's, it's, we quickly <laughs> learn that... Let's uh, uh, take a step back here. Uh, why Commander Krill is so antagonistic is he is planning to take over the boat. He is importing with a group of Confederate terrorists who are coming in disguised as caterers in a band to play uh -huh. at the what turns out to be the captain's birthday party or something. Um, that he'll, he's planning to take over a ship and hold the hostage or something or sell the nukes that are on board yeah. um it's it's not entirely clear at different points in the film they have different ideas and, and at it, the same point they not only for this uh for cat for the captain's birthday not only do they bring in this band but also a playmate of the month jordan tate uh played unforgettably by erica elaniak mm -hmm. uh star of the beverly hillbillies movie could that be don't, what was going Don't to take be? us there. Don't take us there. No. <laughs> and uh, she actually was a Playboy playmate. Uh, mm. I think the month that they actually talk about. Um, 
but um, she actually does all right in this film, uh, Erica. Um, yeah. But what we, we get to the interesting part is that um, uh, they take Casey, uh, uh, he punches Krill in a, in a fight over who's going to cater the captain's party, and he is locked in the meat locker and put under guard. While the terrorists, led by, I think, Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee Jones in one of his truly unique performances, um, who takes takes over and kills people, and the terrorists take over the boat and lock mm-hmm. everybody at the, in a big room at the front of the boat called the Focusle. Focusle, Focusle, that's right. Uh, um, I don't speak Navy. The terrorists eventually, Casey manages to remove himself from the uh, the the. Uh, well, he's removed from the meat locker by mm-hmm. the terrorists who've come down to take care of the uh the, the soldier in the navy person what they called sailor who's mm-hmm. keeping watching and the sailor actually is a familiar face if you're a fan of um the um the fugitive yes uh, and the sequel which was u.s marshals I guess. yes it was yeah um he is the guy with a ponytail in that movie um, the kid the kid who gets like the shot uh, you i've seen that movie a lot of times oh, yeah. so i I'm like i know that guy um, but at this point, this point, we learned something very interesting about Casey. Mm-hmm. He may look like a cook. He is not just a cook. He's, He's in cook. fact a an elite Navy SEAL. Who saw that coming? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he's able to quickly dispatch the terrorists who um, who have been sent to who have been sent to kill him by by Tommy Lee Jones and and Gary mm-hmm. Busey with some very um with a bit of throwing knife action and some wavy hand karate action which i really mm-hmm. enjoy like you know the, the, yeah. the, we're watching the show you can see we're we're obviously <laughs> deeply trained in these steve cigar oh, yes, yes. Uh, we are or, part of the school of cigar either that or it's peter garrett dancing um <laughs> <laughs> um you decide ladies and gentlemen um if there's a reason if there's ever been a reason to tune into the live stream that was it that's, that's it <laughs> um so uh i enjoy the wavy hand karate moves but it's a it's a wonderful fight scene between the two of them and we quickly learn he's uh he's not someone to be fucked with yeah um he quickly discover, discover before long he discovers Jordan still inside the cake, mm-hmm. uh, who has been drugged at some point I think by Tommy Lee Jones to, in order to put her to sleep he gives her a sleep sickness tablets which actually turned to be sleeping pills I think. Yeah, I don't quite know whether that was intentional or or not. I I don't know whether she just accidentally OD'd on them. I it's it's not exactly. Re- explained and we just move on like i'm not really sure why she's there like, she's there um, as the birthday present for the captain <laughs> yes but in put themselves in the shoes of tommy lee jones as as terrorist leader and you're like what exactly purpose did jordan have in his little cunning plan i mean if, if she was there to distract people surely they would have wheeled the cake in and distracted people then shot people and took over the ship, and they did it pretty effectively without a naked woman in the Stop cake. Poking so. holes in in the Stranix's plan. Very, the most famous scene in the film, I think, or one of them, was mm. is the moment where Casey notices the cake, moves the cake out of the way, the fake cake with Jordan, and Jordan mm. pops out of the top, topless, and starts mm. her 
dance routine, believing she's now dancing, doing her bit um, yep. for for uh, her her job. Um, and apparently, I don't know how true it is, but the IMDb mm. trivia does say that this tape had to be replaced on a regular basis because that section of the tape wore out so fast it was re-round and rewatched um, <laughs> so many times. That's now, like the same kind of shit that you know the the most freeze framed moment in all movies is basic the, the instincts leg crossing moment yeah okay sure <laughs> yeah well i would believe it personally um if you were a 14 year old boy in 1992 and i'm not saying i was I actually was, but let's not. This is irrelevant to the story right now. This, this is, is hypothetical. This is not about me. It's not about blaming people who wore out the VHS tape. Why'd you remind everyone that section? It's hey, not about me. Don't king shame. <laughs> <laughs> but if you just if you so happen to have been a 14 year old, 15 year old boy in 1992, you know, getting your hands on that kind of content. Wasn't as easy as it is today, uh, kiddies. Um, you know, yep. you, you had to go out and not pretend you're interested in watching, you know, a taut uh, erotic thriller like Basic Instinct, or uh, you sit through Madonna acting for uh, you know two hours in Body of Evidence. Um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or you go and see Sirens with Elle McPherson in it, and you know, be a film about Australian artists because, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I like art house movies. Yeah, sure, sure. It just I'm quite a fan right. of um, Hugh Grant's career to this point. I mean, yes, he's very good. <laughs> he was in that film. Um, but anyway, so that is the story. It was it, it, at the, the time this film was a huge hit in video rental stop shops on yeah. tape. However, the stores had to continue to replace their copies as Erica Elenayak's striptease sequence was frequently worn out from being constantly rewound and replayed by viewers. <laughs> I, it sounds like an urban myth to me, but it could yeah. be true. I could see how it would be true. But anyway, yeah. I would like to quote Erica Ellen Iak here in the sense that I think she's actually very good in this film. Um, it would be very easy to shit on someone who is essentially a model and not an actress uh, yeah. and critique her performance. But um, I found her very – not. and I'm not doing this because I, she's attractive. Of course, she's attractive. She was a, a model in The Playmate. But hmm. – She's actually very convincing and easy to watch on screen. I would agree with that. Because there's always that, especially when you go back into something like this era of action movies, there was always the hot chick being dragged along. Um, and they were there to be the eye candy. And they would always be fucking annoying. They were, ne they were poorly written. They were just literally there as set dressing with tits essentially and it's not much better of that actual writing of a character but she just plays it quite well like she has a freak out when she realizes her situation when she comes out of a cake and she's she doesn't suddenly become a badass but she becomes useful and it's like she actually plays it all well and kind of more realistic than most of the other characters on the screen. And somehow, for the first time ever, someone has on-screen chemistry with Steven Seagal. Um, <laughs> I know. Such I was friends. shocked too. Um, <laughs> and she does. She gets a little... Her and Seagal work where 
we work well together on screen. Maybe it's because yeah. neither of them can act. Um, there's, a, <laughs> there's a little bit of, you know, camaraderie there, you know. Um, and uh, look, they work off each other well. And the you know, funny thing is that yeah. I wonder, Seagal kind of feels like he knows he's in a bad movie or a cheesy movie. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of, again, that's just kind of his jam. That's yeah. kind of his acting speed. But she plays it quite straight. Like she, she's the yeah. straight man, really. If you yeah. think about it, she's she's you know Dean Martin to his Jerry Lewis, which is kind of from, from sublime to ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but that's yeah, that especially seems- when you think about the outlandishness of Tommy Lee Jones' character, he is just going. This is kind of this could almost be used as his audition for the fucking Joker. It, mm. he's he's just sociopathic he swings for the fences with every single conversation showing the scenery yeah yeah he really is and then you've got gary Busey being gary Busey, and you've got steven seagal being steven seagal and they're all kind of larger than life odd people in larger than life odd roles and she's like the everyman She's, she's, the, she's the audience, isn't she? Yeah. The voice of the audience, like, yeah. Uh, who found themselves in this crazy position. She also has one of the best lines in the film where mm. there's a shootout going on in a hallway between the terrorist and Steven Seagal. Uh, mm. And she says something on the lines of, um, she goes running after him down the hallway and a guy she was sitting with goes, where are you going? He says, the safest place in this boat's behind him. Um, <laughs> and that's actually a quote from, that's actually a, 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 a corruption of a quote that somebody said during the Second World War about a, a Medal of Honor recipient. So um, props to the, the writer for dropping that kind of obscure shit in there. Yeah. Um, as the plot moves along, the basic gist of it is we now have our our ex-Navy SEAL, we have our playmate um, mm-hmm. working together to try and recake the boat and defeat the terrorists, essentially. Part of it is actually they managed to figure out how to get in touch with um, Washington, uh, and they talk to the generals who that's how we learn a little bit more about who Casey is, his background as a Navy SEAL, why he was working as a chef, basically. Mm-hmm. Something he worked on in an operation he was on went south in Panama and yep. he handed his medals back or some bullshit. And the the only way he could continue in the um in the forces without a discharge was to work at that significant that very low level yeah. of, of 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 um you know seamen. And he actually he followed the captain to this role, who could so he could see out his twenty years and get his his pension, was that the gist of it? We also meet the many you know, the, the cunning and nefarious CIA man, uh, who is in every one of his films, who yeah. ended up sending Casey on that, um, you know, unsuccessful mission with that. Mission, yeah, uh, we find out later. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, the terrorists are, are doing terrorist shit. Um, they're, they're welding stuff and they're trying to offloading the uh the missiles and stuff like that. And they've got a submarine, Ooh. Ooh. it's amazing how many submarines are pretty readily available in these kinds of movies. They're just kicking around, Ooh. you know. You haven't, I mean, you, you can jump on Etsy probably and buy one these days. Um, <laughs> this one's themed like Pikachu, it's like, oh, yeah, I crochet, I crochet submarines in my spare time, it's just kind of how I relax. <laughs> It's so tough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, you, you should really take it up as a hobby. You should ask Shay. She'd know how to do it. She's good at that kind of thing. Um, but uh, so the idea is they're going to somehow offload these missiles into a yes. submarine. Somehow. I, I don't know if you've ever seen a submarine up close, um, but they usually don't have large loading bays 
um on the surface you could just yeah. like slide anyway but plan but yeah but you know what that's 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 fine. just that's just fine i'm being a bit picky <laughs> uh <laughs> and you know it follows a fairly familiar um sort of trajectory from there we have um casey pick up a few other stragglers who help him out um mm -hmm. and you know running gun battles and you know there's explosions and you know hand grenades and before you know it it's just down to casey and the mm. bosses now one of, one of the things that kind of puts this almost in the in a league of like how we started this chain movie of those kind of promotional navy movies where it's like the there's there's a, a towards the end spoilers for 1992 movie i guess but the sub that they're offloading these missiles onto it starts getting away and because the ship was being decommissioned the main guns don't work and all they have was kind of these old school ones and some of the people some of the sailors some of the crew from when the signing um of the um uh, after pearl harbor um happened they they were visiting the boat and they were part of the um and so they have to get the the new crew don't really know how to use all these weapons and stuff but the old boys they're still kicking around and they know how to do it and they're gonna do all the the the, the distance uh checks and things like that and they they're the ones that stop the missiles from being sold on the black market and saving the day it's a bizarre moment and it's like okay it's kind of cool how they actually did that and how they kind of showed how it used to be done and then it just kind of goes yep yeah, we've done our little bit of you know press press x to pay respects and then <laughs> <laughs> move on to just the stupid knife fight with tommy lee jones the knife fight is brilliant <laughs> and we get more of it yeah, yeah it's, it's, um... like, you know people complained about the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League having so much slow-mo <laughs> they do that without actually slow-moing in this movie they're just they're just kind of on like like a pause frame thing they're just animated just he's one of the most <laughs> ridiculous fights in the, in in a, in a film like I mean yeah. uh, I think maybe the end is where this film lets itself down a little bit I mean mm -hmm. I'm sure I just like to be upfront and say I actually was thoroughly entertained and I had a good time with this, yeah. um, even even today. Um, but if it's probably one of the weaker points of a film because the knife fight's odd. It's an you know, like if you think back to the original and the best, yeah. How do we? How does how does Alan Rickman and Bruce Willis end it? There's that incredible scene at the mm -hmm. top of the tower where Alan Rickman you know falls off and it's just it's perfection. Yeah, yeah it's great. Um, you know, whereas you know, or or even let's go to Air Force One. There's mm -hmm. that, you know, that great get scene where and it throws Gary Oldman off a plane. Again, it's kind of iconic in a way. Yeah. Um, and that's a really great way to sort of a really great for that way for that character to to to, to end the fight. Whereas a weird knife fight in a ship, it was some, uh, I don't know. It was I, also a really sorry. No, I was just gonna say I think they're supposed the, the idea behind it is they're supposed supposed to both be so highly well trained that it's that kind of like that mental game and the, almost like the samurais facing each other where it's just one slice, one attack, and it's over, and they're kind of working out the scenarios, but it just looks like they're just like um like you've you've moved away from the computer game for a bit and it's just that idle animation. But <laughs> 
Casey's been established as a real badass. Yeah. We know Casey's a badass. We don't know anything about Tommy Lee Jones. Is he is he just a mastermind? Is he the Lex, you know, is he the you know, the the, the brains of the operation, but not the muscle, you know? Um, mm. you know, uh, or is he is he actually a badass as well? Um, we don't know. If you wanted to look like a badass, they needed to tell us or show us mm. something that made us know that. Um, there's also a really weird line in the end of the film, and I think I noticed for the first time uh this week just passed, uh, was when he walks into the, uh, he meets Tommy Lee Jones for the first time, or he sees him for the first time in the film. He goes, "I know you." He goes, "Yeah, it's been a long time," or something like that. Um, we Is see your Jersey, mother called Martha. Your wife just said name. That would be good. Um, um, the deepest of cuts. It's, uh, not that deep, um, <laughs> it, it, but a good one. I'll pay. Um, but, uh, but, but there's, there's an acknowledgement these two characters know each other. But yeah. the film hasn't shown us that or told us that at any point. And apparently, according to the trivia, there was a scene written but not filmed where the t- earlier it was supposed to be appear at the start of the film where Tommy Lee Jones and Casey Ryback met in a, in Panama. So this is where they know each other. So he was some sort of CIA agent. Mm. Uh, a, they're like an assassin of some kind or what do you call it, an auditor? or uh, And yeah. he was one of the CIA guys on the ground in Panama yeah. that caused the the situation to go south with, mm. with with Casey's squad, which you go, okay, that's actually a nice bookend. Yeah. Um uh, but that didn't they didn't film it apparently. Yeah. So but somehow they left this line in. Mysterious. Yeah. Like, you could have very easily cut that line out. You would have missed nothing. I mean so as far as we know all the way through the film they don't know yeah. each other and it wouldn't have suffered if they didn't. But it's a very odd choice to leave a line in that refers to a scene that was not even cut, but not shot. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a an interesting scenario. Maybe they were just assuming, like, oh, people will just work that out. Yeah, we like that scene in Spaceballs where, you know, Rick Moranis is like, you know, I'm your father's best friend's cousin's ex-roommate, you know. <laughs> What does that make us? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I just I just had this idea, you know, that, you know, so like, oh, it's you from Panama. And then so like, no, that was the other guy. He's the one that the CIA makes pushing too many pencils. <laughs> <laughs> so like they all know each other in the CIA. Of course they do. It's like, yeah, every, <laughs> someone, someone finds out you're from Australia and they're a foreign, they go, oh, do you know Bruce? And you're like, no. Is dude. Crocodile Dundee really like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, do you write kangaroos? No. Um, okay. uh, the other part of the ending that kind of bothered me a little bit, I'm being very picky here, mm. um, was the final scene where they're all crowding around on the ship cheering and they, and uh, Casey throws some sort of one-liner at the screen. I can't remember what it, exactly it was. It was like a, a pithy one-liner about – I mean, he grabs Erica Alanayak's character at Jordan and gives her a great big snog. Yeah. And you're like – uh, you really haven't earned that. Like, there's been chemistry between the two of them as in characters, but there's not yeah. really been a great deal of sexual tension of any kind between the two of them, I felt. And it just kind of felt like that's what you do at the end of an action film. You grab the pretty yeah. girl and kiss her. The only thing that was kind of missing from that whole thing was just Charlie Sheen in the background going, oh, we're going to go to Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> um. It also, like when I go back to a film again, like Die Hard, obviously it was a, it's a kiss between um, Bruce Willis and his wife in yeah. that film. And you're like, but that's, this is his wife. 
They've earned that. Yes. They've that. They 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 may be on the rocks a little bit at the start of a story, but you know they they are very intimately you know know and love each other. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense for your guy to kiss his wife. He's just been yeah. he's just rescued from terrorists. Um, but this one just felt out of place and just thrown in because that's what you do. Yeah, there's not many that. Do action movies that do earn that kiss like they do at, in Die Hard, they do at the end of Speed, like Keanu Reeves and and they she even kind of makes a joke about it, saying, "Oh, you know, um, something about the adrenaline and so many relationships that you know end." It's like, yeah, but you two have fucking gone through shit and you had chemistry throughout this whole thing, so you go for it. That's that's all good. This is like okay, it was just because she was a pretty girl there. Okay, she was there. No. Yeah. Um. So I'm not getting. Uh, I'm not putting my uh, other podcast hat on where we go deep into the politics of something like that. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a completely non-political point. Just me saying mm. it felt out of place. Yeah. In this but story, I think it's. I think it's kind of telling that these little bits are the only things that we're really picking up on. Because otherwise, it's a pretty well-structured, well-formed movie. It's enjoyable. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It keeps going at a good pace. You've got solid performances throughout. They all seem to know what kind of movie they are making. And it just flows along. It's entertaining. It's one that you'll forget about after the after the movie. But you're like, yep, yeah, okay. That was a solid 90 minutes. Uh, wow, hour 43, actually. Um, you're right. It, it doesn't stay over stay. It's welcome, which a lot of I think it would film maybe today, may today would. It's yeah. also very well directed. Now, Andrew Davis directed this mm. film. Andrew Davis, as we hinted at before, directed The Fugitive, which mm. I think is a wonderful movie. Um, and yeah, not much else to be entirely honest. He did those two. Um, but he's a very capable director with yeah. the right material. Um, and just sort of some of the, the creative choices. So this film wasn't shot on the USS Missouri. It was shot on another ship that was moored in Alabama or somewhere like that. And that the, the submarine that's next door is moored next to it. So they had to shoot this in some very interesting ways to make it look like it was out at sea when it's right next to a giant city. Yeah. Um, right. So some blackout curtains and that kind of thing. So... Um, I just think from a, a creative perspective, the director's done a very fine job because I looked at that yeah. in that in the trivia going, oh, I thought you did pretty well. I never really noticed anything that looked fake about that. I was pretty convincing. Yeah. I agree. And a lot of the stuff with um, being filmed in the, in the ship and just the closeness of the corridors, I feel like they they represented that space very well it was one of the um the best elements of das boot is how claustrophobic it is filming in that sub and the the actors kind of squeezing past the camera and things like that you do get a sense of space in in the movie as the as the camera is moving through and the it's, it's like everything that happens there is a logic to it the, the kind of like yeah we need to get these missiles out so we need to make a track and so they you see them making the track and it it just adds to the the kind of the the, the genuine nature and the feel it of, feels it feels you know realistic enough for an unrealistic yeah. action film uh, i think also just you talked about the acting 
Mm. We've got some very good actors here. Now, Gary Busey, he's got a mm. rep. Guy is seriously capable when he had to be. Mm. I did use the past tense. I think mm. he's done. Um, but in the 80s and 90s, he was certainly capable of doing some good work. Yeah. Um, we know Tommy Lee Jones, Academy Award winner, mm-hmm. top-notch actor, doing something well outside of his sphere of normal stuff, um, mm-hmm. and he pulls it off really, really well. The issue is we sort of talked about it earlier is our star, Steven Seagal, and I guess our, our co-star, our main co-star being Erica Alanayak, both being actors of questionable ability. Um, and I think this film is done really well is what I've talked about in the past that I liked about the first Wonder Woman film mm-hmm. with Gal Gadot is you write for the film, you write the part to match your talent. Yeah. You don't give him, you know, uh, 10 minute soliloquies to read out, you know, <laughs> King Cord or Glams, or as the weird woman half predicted, but I fear thou have played most foully for it. Yeah, um, you know, you I kind of want to see that. Um, <laughs> Steven Seagal is. It'd be like that. It'd be like the um, the uh, the fake trailer in um, Last Action Hero. Um, Steven Seagal is Hamlet. Hamlet, this fair <laughs> prince who said I was fair. <laughs> 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 to be or not to be, not to be. Uh, I really love that movie. By the way, that is a great movie. Um, that is a great movie. Um, but I think they've given Seagal material he can work with yeah they've given him co-stars he can work with surround mm-hmm. him with really good talent surround him with you know a female co-star who's quite charismatic on screen and works yeah. really well off him yeah. i don't know if they he went into a room and like just worked with actresses and they found one that worked with him or they just said she'll do and they got lucky yeah um and they did the same thing with erica alanayak i mean she's not a tra- i don't think she was a trained actress i think she was a model um and so they've given her material that's in her wheelhouse um she's not she's not emoting a lot right other than you know a few basic things here and there and that's fine in a film like this you know exactly what you want these people to do and they'll take you from a to b in a really entertaining way you know steven cigar is going to give you value in the 80s and 90s in your fight scenes so i think that is look whether they did it by accident or by good planning i don't know um, but it's a it's it's a high it's worked out really well. The writer is J.F. Lawton, mm-hmm. who I don't think he did a whole lot else. He did Pretty Woman. He, he wrote did Chain-, Chain Reaction, which is an underrated movie for a very good reason. It blows. No, it doesn't blow. It's just kind of a forgotten average one. But the, I would the say he also did DOA. I like that movie. You, that's, do that's, you cannot bag me out for liking Chain Reaction and then say you'd like DOA. I, I remember liking it. Uh, it's got Kevin Nash in it. Come on. <laughs> DOA has one reason, and that's just because of pretty ladies. I remember seeing it and liking it, but it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I sure. saw it. Sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, it, it also flits nicely into my uh, video game movie theory. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, I can see it's a quiet taste. <laughs> I see you aren't educated in the ways of Holly Valance and you are the poorer for it. <laughs> um, but uh, he hasn't done a lot, but whether he's talented enough to have actually written stuff directly mm. for Seagal, I don't know. Andrew Davis had certainly worked with Seagal before, so mm-hmm. that would kind of make sense that he knew what he was getting and, you know, a- adapted the, the screenplay or, or, or whatever he was doing to actually fit Seagal's mm. limited acting range 
I, I guess I think though it's as we, we've sort of said it's it's a fun movie and it's just nothing wrong with, if you're going to rip somebody off, rip off the best and exactly. you've done it pretty well here. Exactly, I a hundred percent agree with that. Now, where are you taking this next? <laughs> I seem to have incurred the wrath of the audience. Um, uh, I, I might have to revisit DOI if I have time this week just to see if how how wrong I've potentially been. I remember liking it. Um, but uh, where are we taking this next? We're going to go to yeah. somewhere a little, a little bit classier um, than uh, <laughs> he's top of he's got the keys. Um, um, we are going to follow Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, but we're going somewhere um, a little, um, a little bit more left field than than um, something like um, uh, the Fugitive, which I did talk about. But I, I was saying before we came in here, I like it when we talk about stuff that's a little bit different or a little bit. Mm. If no one, no one tunes in just to have us um, you know, crap on yeah. about films that we love. That's why we didn't do Ghostbusters when we had Bill Murray. I think we. <laughs> slid to something a little bit more interesting. So I'm going to pick a film that I have seen before, but I don't think I've seen it since the 90s when it just after it came out. Okay. And it's a film I did not like at the time. In fact, my IMDb history, which goes back over 20 years, Mm -hmm. um, says I gave it a one star. Oh, what incurred such wrath? This is the 1994 Weird ass mashup between Quentin Tarantino and Oliver Stone, Natural Born oh. Killers. Oh, good choice. Which Tommy Lee Jones is in. He plays a warden or something, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, and so this is, uh, of course, the Woody Harrelson, Juliet Lewis movie. Very Robert controversial. Daniel. Robert Daniels. You've got so many exits from this film. Like, yeah. I did make sure we did. You go Roddy Dangerfield if you want. No, I just saw that. <laughs> it's like, you know, I can't believe it. I'm losing to a rug. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I would highly endorse following Juliet Lewis to From Dust Till Dawn, but that would be easy. Um, so, but anyway, I involved with Jared Harris is in this as well. So, yeah. Um, I hated this film when it came out. I think it's a very strange film. Quentin Tarantino's writing. And Oliver Stone's direction is like oil and water. They just don't mix. But uh, it does have a very good rating. It's a 7.3 in IMDb. It has a 74 Metascore. Yep. And a little bit like uh, for my other podcast, the throwback available wherever good past, good podcast can be found. Uh, we watched the, this, boy's, chill. this Boy's Life not so long ago, uh, the Robert De Niro, Leo DiCaprio film. I hated that film in high school. But watching mm. it now, I really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe I'll have, uh, a different experience of natural born killers now than I did when I was younger. I already know where we're going next. There you go. I figured it would make yeah. it nice and easy for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of, it's also these kind of films create lots of opportunities for, you know, like George to sort of think about, find us something mm-hmm. interesting um, yeah. to go to next, you know? Um, and I said, I actually did my homework in this one. <laughs> for a change, we put effort in. I was prepared for a change. It never happens. Uh, anyway, that's something to look forward to next week. This is the yeah. first Tarantino film in the chain. It is, isn't it? Yeah, of sorts, sort of a Tarantino film. He's credited as writer, so there you go. Yeah. Now let's move on. Let's go on to a topic near and dear to our hearts on this show. That is the video game movie adaptation. Of course, the buzz, 
for the last couple of weeks has been this new rendition of Mortal Kombat. For those who aren't initiated, I think in our very first episode, which would have been mm, uh, 2014 or something, um, yeah. um, that was back when we were just a GNT podcast. We hadn't upgraded to our new persona. Um, <laughs> one of my standing predictions was that, that, that one day video games would be to film what comic books have become to film. Yeah. So you go back to the early late 90s, early 2000s, comic books were trash. Yep. You know, you, you threw it against, you pissed it against the wall with films like Daredevil and Elektra. No one mm-hmm. respected it. Or Batman mm-hmm. and Robin. Um, yeah. Whereas it took that Marvel Universe thing 13 years ago now, Iron yep. Man, to really go, actually, you know what? If you treat people's beloved properties with respect, there are squillions of dollars in it. Yes. And thought? all of a sudden, and now... As you can see, like where was that Marvel announcement of stage of stage yeah. four? I think um, yep. they've just got they just cool. pumping the shit out, and it's it's yep. liquid gold. It's it's basically a tap of yep. money. It, no one can turn off. They yet. are making so much money on it; it is ridiculous. And comic books are basically cinematic gold. Like any, yeah. you know, like there's that story that Marvel tried to sell their catalog to Sony in the nineties for like fifty yeah. million dollars or something. Yeah. Right? It's worth, can you, you imagine, imagine what that, that what Marvel would be worth now if Disney decided to try and sell it? Yeah. Um it would be it would be outrageous. So I have always contended that one day uh someone will get a clue and mm. start treating video games as as with some respect mm. and it will become the pot of gold, the next big pot of gold of the rainbow. Is Mortal Kombat a sign that that might finally be coming true, do you think? I think it's another step in the right direction because we've had a few. Obviously, some of the financially successful ones and socially successful ones, I guess you could say, uh, Detective Pikachu and Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, they both took a good amount of money in this. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog was an interesting move because the initial trailer, they had redesigned Sonic in this weird-looking way and because of such vehement backlash they invested more money into the movie and they changed the 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 design of it and the movie itself worked all all things considered it was it had more of a story than any sonic (laughs) game has ever had and it was you know it was successful and Detective in a way, Pikachu. that's actually what I'm talking about, though, right? Like mm. that was almost that may have been the turning point here because yeah. they opened up with that shitty first trailer. That was exactly what studios do. We yeah. are treating your beloved product with exactly. complete and utter contempt, and all of a sudden they like they sat up and went, "Oh, people really hate when we disrespect things that they love." Yeah, and they spent six months, spent the money redoing it. And all of a sudden people was actually responded to that respect yeah. and, and probably also the fact it was a decent film i haven't seen it um that you know they actually they came they turned it to the theater yeah and so we we're slowly but surely getting these elements coming through this i don't think this is the one that's going to bust the dam at all um i think it's going to take something um maybe this uncharted movie my hopes are not high i i don't really actually see much point of any of the naughty dog games being converted into movies because their games are designed to be cinematic it's like okay 
you're just telling it, it telling the story in a different medium because you want to make money there is no point because you're taking the the literal player control out of their hands and they're just watching so you're kind of missing a little bit of the connection there but you know what if they're good stories so if they convert into good movies i'm okay um i i'm with you here i don't think this is the the um the score of Brett Campbell's back, but I think this mm. is a very positive step forward. And that's not entirely a result of the fact the film's great. I think the film's done very well financially so far uh, for a film in the, um, in the, uh, in the pandemic world that we're in. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the unspecified virus of unknown origin has kind <laughs> of, you know, just completely shut so many cinemas down in different parts of the world. Um, it, it, it's, I think it's done pretty well as in mm. terms of financial, uh, it's been greenlit, I believe, for two sequels. Um, Doesn't surprise me. And I had as much fun with this movie as I've had at the cinema. See, it's I can't remember. Okay. I liked this significantly more than Godzilla versus Kong. Um, then, you know, which was, I think was supposed to be the same type of thing. Like, it's a big dumb CGI spectacular that you're mm -hmm. supposed to just turn your brain off and have fun with. Yep. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong was fine for me, but I just enjoyed this significantly more. But okay. we'll give people a synopsis for those who are uneducated. Mm. Um, MMA fighter Cole Young seeks out Earth's greatest champions in order to stand against the enemies of Outworld in a high-stakes battle for the universe. I think that's, that's half right and half very it's wrong. kind of pretty thin. Um does anybody not know that Mortal Kombat are a very successful series of fighting games? I'm sure everybody must know that. Well, yeah, um, think, think about the the legacy of Mortal Kombat. It came out and it had like two or three really successful games because it's sort of like they, they used their their unique style of animating people and having back in those days it was kind of like wow, you can actually very realistic see graphics, first, very realistic yeah. graphics for the time, and gore so much gore violence and blood and this was one of the games that was taken to u.s court as like no this is terrible for the young people look what they're showing you and this was instrumental in getting the age rating on computer games it was one of the one of the the big targets i think it's very famous i think if you even if you don't play games i think you know about this game because you at least if you're of, of our generation because as you say <laughs> It was mm. one of the more controversial ones going yeah. around. It made the news for reasons that perhaps it would prefer have not made the news for. Yeah. Um, so essentially we we start out the film here with a fight between um, Hanzo Hasashi mm -hmm. uh, and Bihan, who are both, I mean, no one who's played any of the games is in any doubt as to who these characters are. They are mm -hmm. Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Yes. Scorpion being um, Hanzo Hasaki and yep. Sub-Zero being Bihan. And the opening 10 minutes or so is set in feudal Japan where we have this fight where um, ninjas turn out to try and kill Hanzo, who's some sort of warrior, and they kill his family. Yeah. Sub-Zero kills his family and mm -hmm. then eventually mortally wounds uh, mm -hmm. Hanzo. And that opening is probably the best part of a film. 100% agree. It is phenomenal. It is beautiful. It is really nicely filmed. The action, the, the 
I fucking um, what was it? What's where, where is he? Yeah, uh, Hiroyuki San, uh, Sanada. He is fucking cool as an actor. He's always awesome, and he owns it. He always, especially when he's um, bringing in the martial arts, he always just he looks powerful and confident and competent as a martial artist. He's not, certainly not going into. Um, whatever the fuck his name is, Finn, who played Iron Fist, where it's like, oh, no, you need a lot more training to look convincing as a martial artist genius. He, he um, of course, he's best cool. known probably for Sunshine. Uh, he was in the Wolverine. Did you know he was in Endgame? Yes, yes, he was. I, he was I, the guy that Ronin kills. Yeah, I just realised that. But um, yeah. uh, he's also going to be in the a new Zack Snyder film, Army of the Dead, which I'm very excited to see. Yeah. Um, he, he's... He's a badass in this film. Yeah. Uh, and B Bihan is played by Joe Taslim, who mm -hmm. I, I am less familiar with. Um, he was in The Raid I, and one of the Fast and Furious films. He was in Star Trek Beyond. The less said okay. about that, the better. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he's quite, they're both far and away mm. the most interesting characters, two of the most, three most mm. interesting characters in the film. So we have this amazing scene at the start. Um, the fight between the two of them, uh, Hanzo is eventually mm -hmm. killed. Uh, and then he, rather than just uh, dying, his body sort of bursts in the flame and disappears. Yeah. Um, all of this is in order. This fight is in order to save his infant son who's been hidden from mm -hmm. Bihan, who is trying to end Hanzo, uh, Hanzo's uh, bloodline. I can't mm -hmm. say Hanzo without getting a chill down my spine. There's something about Hanzo oh, Mains. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Um, this is an Overwatch reference. Um, oh, <laughs> um, I don't do Overwatch. I was in the other one. Badly you're in the other one. Um, <laughs> but the son escapes being killed by by Sub Zero, yes. and we cut forward, you know, to the present day where we meet Cole Young, played by Lewis Tan. Um, Cole Young superpower is sucking any interest or heat out of a story. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's quite remarkable that talent he is about as talented as an actor as a plank of wood i mean i have I no idea what the, steven seagal reference there <laughs> I, I think steven seagal is in a different league to, to lewis tan see now um, this, this is my big problem with this movie is it does the same fucking problem where it's like, oh, yeah, we've got this property. We're going to create a totally new character to follow because, yeah, why not? Come oh, on. I, my, my friend told me this who I saw this. I saw this with my friend Simon. He's mm. like, oh, have I got a new character? I'm like, there are like 150 bloody characters in a video game now. Why wouldn't you pick one of them? Yeah, um, and there's there's no definition as to what um, Cole Young's ability manifests. It's like, what, just armor? It's pretty weak. It's pretty yeah. weak. And that, the, the, the character of Cole Young is one of the major missteps in the film. Mm. The actor is dull. The character mm -hmm. is dull. Yep. And he's not in the original game. Nope. Uh, anyway, he has a family. Mm -hmm. Dark forces are coming to try and kill him because he has a birthmark that's shaped like the Mortal Kombat dragon. Mm -hmm. And that is basically the bad guys, Shao Kahn and co, have sent assassins like Sub-Zero to mm -hmm. come into the world to to kill all the uh, potential fighters in the Mortal Kombat tournament, which are the people with the Mortal Kombat um, tattoo birthmark thing, are the people who are supposed to compete in the Mortal Kombat tournament, which we are all familiar with from the video game, uh, with, a, with a view to being that basically means that Otherworld, Shao Kahn's side, will win that tournament by default, and the two most beautiful words in the English language. 
um, and hence control Earth and, you know, everybody died poor and lonely and never get laid again. Um, <laughs> that, it's, it, you might not have picked that up, but it was in the subtext. Um, yeah, I'm very good. Um, so that's basically it. We have, we have, we meet shortly afterwards that Lewis is saved, sorry, Cole is saved by Jax, mm-hmm. um, who was played by Mechad Brooks. Um, yep. who I'm not overly familiar with is his work. Uh, mm. He's in Desperate Housewives. He was in True Blood. He was in Supergirl. Good for okay. him. Oh, well, <laughs> that's where I know him from. He played James Olsen. Oh, he looked different. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, you watched enough of that to be familiar with him. I uh, watched season one. <laughs> we then meet. We also meet Sonya Blade, who's working with Jack. So both, mm-hmm. you know, from a military background. Sonya is played by... Jessica McNamee, uh, another vortex of charisma. Uh, unfortunately, she's an Australian vortex of charisma. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's she was in The Meg and Chips? Yeah, not stellar movies either of them. And she, I mean, like, I really like the. I think that his character Sonya was maybe the one that they got right in the original film. Um, that, yeah. you know, yeah, that she, Jess, Jessica is weak. We also, Jessica is holding hostage, mm. uh, uh, Kano, who is also Kano. a character. And Kano is played by the Australian actor Josh Lawson, who Australian audiences will be very familiar with. He's just, I was looking, going, I've seen him in stuff, but when I go through his IMDb page, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I've seen any of this, but like, yeah, he's, he's been around. I mean, even the Australian stuff he's been in, I'm like, uh, any questions for Ben? I think I might have seen that one. Um, he was in an episode of Wilfred. Uh, he was in The Librarians, which is a great TV show. Uh, anyway, yeah. Kano is a is played by Josh as a foul-mouthed, obnoxious Australian, mm-hmm. and it is brilliant. He it, there, there was that meme that is going around to like Australian actor is, uh, admitted to surgery for carrying an entire movie. And yeah. <laughs> It's pretty true because anytime he's on the screen, it lights up. He he is just kind of the the ugly heart and soul of this movie in all the right ways. He gets all the best one liners. Yeah, uh, he's he, he's just horrible. He's funny. He's he plays everything kind of perfectly. It, it's it's just like it was like all the all the charisma. That, mm-hmm. that should have been coming out of characters like Sonya and Cole mm-hmm. has just been consumed by Josh Lawson's Kano and exploded onto the screen. Like, you're right. Your interest <laughs> level in the film goes up 50% every time he has something happen. And, and I, I was just so happy for Josh because he played it beautifully. I, yeah. I think this is the definition of a star-making performance because everybody has been saying the same thing. is like, yeah. oh, yeah, like Kano is the best thing in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from maybe uh, Hanzo. Um, yeah. So I would be very surprised if he doesn't get more work yeah. um, off the back of this. He's, he, I enjoyed his, um, his performance immensely. Great. Stuff happens. They meet, we meet our, our small cast of you know, ragtag fighters who are going to defend Earth in the Mortal Kombat tournament. They journey through the desert. I should note this film was shot in South Australia. Um, it was produced by James Wan, who, of course, directed um, Aquaman and was responsible for the creation mm-hmm. of the Saw series. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Um, I, I I saw Ghost Rider three times at the cinema, 
just so I could see my city on the big screen. <laughs> and that's a bad movie. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> so, but this one's like, uh, not quite the same, but and they went out journeying through the desert to try and find Raiden's temple. Uh, Raiden being the, the, the god yep. who sort of trains god the... Thunder. God of Thunder. who trains Earth's Mortal Kombat fighters. I knew exactly where they were. Um, <laughs> I've been there. Um, so I guess that's the downside of sometimes when you're seeing a film maybe you had this because so much stuff was shot in london um but like when something's shot in your home country at least yeah and they're trying to sell it to you like when they shot ghost rider and they they, they, they shot some of that down near the yu yangs and they're going yeah. oh yeah it's texas and you're like fuck off that's not texas <laughs> <laughs> and this one's like this is supposed to be some desert somewhere in america i guess and it's yeah. like yeah nah that's out near cuba Pedy. Yeah, um, <laughs> it just doesn't sound as threatening when you call it Kupapiti. <laughs> like, it's pretty sure that's where they shot some of Mad Max. I think it's called yeah. the Breakaways from Memory. Yeah, that's right. Um, and um, you're like, it's it, it's 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 a visually stunning part mm. of the country. Oh, yeah, um, and, and beautiful. I, I would highly recommend visiting if you ever have a chance to leave Lister. Um, but like, I know where that is. But, um, <laughs> kind of, so it kind of pulls me out of a film. I suspect I can't suspend disbelief anymore. It's like I know what that is. Yeah. Um, but they find a temple, Raiden starts to train them. Mm-hmm. We meet we meet Liu Kang, um and Kung Lao. Kung Lao, again, characters from the original game, and you're a little bit disappointed how short shrift they were given. Um well, I think it, another the, that's a, that's another element of the problem is Liu Kang was always supposed to be like the main character of Mortal Kombat series, but he's also one of the most fucking boring. Yeah, the yeah. best thing about him was his bicycle kick, where he's like, dun, 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 all the way across yeah. the screen, and that's all he fucking did, all anyone did with him. <laughs> You're right. He's. I, I I was thinking the same thing. I think he was a significantly more important character in the original Mortal Kombat film yeah. uh, from the nineties. But uh, he wouldn't have been a better choice. Would he have been a better choice than Cole? No. He, eh, maybe not. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, we while they are at this dojo or what do you want to call it, training facility, uh, this mm. uh, temple for Raiden. This is where they have to unlock what's called the Arcana. Each one of them has a superpower, which they have to unlock in order to to be able to compete properly. And this is kind of essentially their power from the video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kano unlocks his first, which is he shoots a laser out of his eyeball, and he unlocks it by having an argument with um, Kung Lao about passing an egg roll. Yeah. <laughs> which is perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, the, the, the gist is that they have to unlock this, um, this, um, this arcana and wish to be able to compete properly in the fight. Mm. Um. We at this point in time, uh, uh, Shang Tsung invades Raiden's temple to try and you know end the fight and kill all these people. Now, Raiden has to put up his bullshit shield to protect them from you know anything bad happening. Uh, and I feel like I should go a little bit softer from here because I think people might want to see it. And I'll try and lay off the spoilers from this yeah, part, but it's, from here, we start to actually see uh, the story progresses. There is some curse your sudden inevitable betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we actually have our first proper fight scene between the Mortal Kombat fighters from the other world and Earth's world, mm-hmm. we actually start to see some of the great appeal of the film in that this film has not sung, it's got a little harder than it for other films in the past. It got itself an R rating in yes. the United States mm-hmm. and actually uses one of the most famous features of the game for fatality. Mm-hmm. What did you make of those? 
Um, I enjoyed the way that they didn't overuse them or anything like that, and they didn't make them too kind of like flashing lights. Oh, look at this. This, yes, remember this, this, this bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would like to point out to anyone who's listening, there's, there's been a lot of things happening in this movie as Travis has been talking to us and walking us through this. They have still not yet got to the tournament of modern combat. <laughs> Is, Needless to say, they never do. They kind of do because they end sort up getting of. to the characters end up getting to a point where it's like, well, they're trying to kill us off before the tournament, so they don't have to have a tournament. Let's force a tournament. The tournament is they're out, and it's like, okay, um, but there's not many people left anyway, and um, it's all one-on-one uh, fights. It's not quite a tournament. I imagine that yeah. might be what the sequel is. The, um, the problem for me with this movie is that it tries to do too much. It's tr- it's trying to get to the Avengers team-up movie before it's actually just told a story and just introduced us to all this. Because it throws a lot of shit at you. If you are not new to it it's kind of like okay who the fuck is this lizard guy and and wh- why why the fuck is he here and wh- what's what's this what's that and who you know it's it's a lot all over the place if you have some model combat history you know it it's like okay that's cool that's cool that's cool it follows along but it just tries to do a lot it's like get to the fucking fight <laughs> that, that is fair i i am not the right person potentially to assess that because I played a lot of a video game back in the day or, or enough, mm. enough to know who most of the characters were. A couple of them are like, who's that guy? Um, <laughs> but you're right. I, I had enough background in the story to go, oh, I think I know what's going on here. And yeah. you're right. It does throw a lot at the screen. Yeah. But at no point does it take itself terribly seriously. True. It, it, it knows just, its theme and it sticks to it. And I enjoyed that the fan service is enough. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, after one of the uh, fatalities, mm-hmm. one of the characters just says, flawless victory. And I'm like, ah, yes, <laughs> I understood that reference. Yeah. Um, that kind the, of thing. Or Yeah. Um, there's there's so, so many from the, like, every single one. It's now become one of the the, the main staples of uh, Mortal Kombat things is the quips before and after fights. And it was really nice that they didn't overuse that in this either like the you 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 get like some of the obvious ones like get over here and Mm. flawless victory and things like that and they 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 pepper just enough through that you kind of feel like oh yeah i'm always connected to this it's but it's not over the top it's a a nice balance they do a good job well done um i think you've nailed some of the the key problems there i've tried to do too much on the screen we've Mm. talked about the use of uh, a character who's not in the game who's yeah. actually not very interesting either. If you're going to pull mm-hmm. a character in, create a new character, they've got to be good. Yeah. Uh, that weakens the film. He's just, he's our protagonist and we don't give a shit. We yeah. don't know what he's, even at the end of the film, you can't really tell me what his powers are. They're pretty, pretty vague. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, if you don't like the game or you don't know anything about the game, maybe you're not going to have fun. If you don't like extreme violence, mm-hmm. you're going to have a bad time. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say that I get what to say is like maybe it was nostalgia for me. I yeah. just had a lot of fun with this. I think it could be improved significantly. It could have been written a lot better. Um, mm. our mate, we could have got a lot better actors for some of this. Like why they cast such wooden actors has got me beat. Like 
yeah, um, there is a lot of great talent out there you could have got a hold of who would have done a better job in some of these roles, I would have thought. Well, I think part of the reason this got green green lighted, green lit, um, was because of, do you remember probably eight to maybe even 15 years ago at this point, there was like an online kind of mini series that they got like James Vanderbeek. Uh, no, that was uh, that was the Power Rangers. But there was another one for Mortal Kombat. It was like a mini series, and just going into some of the characters, and it was like really dark and gritty and serious. And they were fucking cool. And I feel like they sort of, like that just suggested the idea of oh, if we do it right, and then James Wan's come in and he's been on a successful movie producing, directing, and writing tear for a good few years now. He was sort of like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll I'll get that going. But here's your budget. I'll give you enough so that it looks good. So you're going to have to cut on some. You're not going to be able to get some of the major actors. And it's it's Mortal Kombat. You're not going to be able to go to someone who's like, hey, Morgan Freeman, uh, can you be the god of thunder? They don't have the cachet <laughs> behind it where they can pull in big talent like Taika Waititi can in his, what he's doing with Thor now. It's like, yeah, he can fucking get all these people in. He can get Christian Bale into this kind of crazy, stupid role because they've got this faith there. There's this trust and, and, and also Disney money behind it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you if want a two hundred million dollar budget? Sure. Yeah, um, and you know, it'll be interesting to see. With the next Mortal Kombat, they tease at the end of it that McCall um, is going to go off to LA to find Johnny, Johnny Cage. Cage. And it, that's that's a great opportunity to get someone like, you know, if 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 he was able to physically do it, I don't know whether he, he could. He's never done anything like it before. But Johnny Depp as Johnny Cage could be kind of genius casting. Because he's an out, out, you know, he's on a bad luck string of a lot of shit. He's on the outs generally. Just give him the part where he plays that. He's playing this braggadocious asshole of a character. It could kind of work. <laughs> He'd have to get in the best shape of his life. Exactly. That's that's the that's the hang up. But you know, CGI legs. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, CGI splits. There's also the politics of this, and that Johnny's kind of toxic yeah exactly uh, so it hey, could look, be uh, his redemption role we will see uh, obviously uh, we definitely gonna this is gross 66 million dollars worldwide so far in a world where most american cinemas are still closed mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and i think this is a, a warner brothers title yeah so if i'm not mistaken this went straight to hbo max in the states so, so yeah because all their movies are going straight to hbo max yeah, now so I think that also has to be brought into that equation. Mm -hmm. And I, well, obviously only HBO would, and, and Warner Brothers would know, you know, yeah. uh, how well it's performed yeah, on that platform. Yeah. Um, and word on the street has done well around the place. It's got good word of mouth. It's done well. Yeah. I think it's a sign that we are moving in the right direction on comic book films. I agree. Uh, I had, again, I had fun. I enjoyed yeah. myself. It was, it was 90 minutes of brainless um, stupidity um and i would tell you more than that it was an hour 50 uh frameless stupidity and i guess for me i'm not invested enough in the property to really give a shit about yeah. how they treat it i just kind of I, but i remember it um fondly enough to have fun with it um so maybe if you're not quite in that sweet spot you might not have as much fun 
See, now what, a, what they need to do is just get these other two Mortal Kombat movies and get them really doing well and get that steam going. And then someone needs to come along and have Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat versus Street Fighter in the future in 10 years' time. I think you're missing the obvious choice here, and that's Mortal Kombat versus DOA. No. Sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> Mortal Kombat versus uh, <laughs> DC. Yes, that's happened in game, and that yeah. would be really hilarious. And if that was the birth of the new DC shared universe, that would be fucking Maybe hilarious. They do own both properties, Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah, they do. Mortal um, Kombat versus King Kong. Someone out there would be working in that Street Fighter one, by the way. Oh, someone would be after the success of guaranteed. this film. Yeah, someone's working on it because someone owns the rights to that, surely. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I'd like to say is I was very, very disappointed in this film, though, was. Mm that there was apparently a toasty gag shot. Oh, yes. Which was cut out of a film at the end. I hope it's on the extras in the DVD <laughs> or something. All the way through, I was just waiting for a toasty. Nope. <laughs> I think that would have been a little bit too breaking the fourth wall for most people. Yeah. But yeah, I just really hope, yeah. I hope that they do not introduce animalities because the animalities fucking suck. Friendship. Oh. <laughs> um, so we're getting deep with some deep cuts. Out. Should we move on? Let's move on. Should we talk about Invincible? Uh, Invincible. So I just caught the last two episodes of season one. Mm. Uh, we've been talking about this for a few weeks a now. Week now yeah. uh, so I just to quickly cover it off if you're perhaps not familiar. This is a animated superhero show in australia it's available on amazon prime mm -hmm. i don't i think it's a prime it exclusive. it's a prime exclusive yes uh, in, other, in other in other territories if you want to take a look it's a very adult oriented superhero show yep um it uh has been written by uh Robert Robert Kirkman. Kirkman, he of um walking dead fame Mm -hmm. um, and features some top-notch voice talent, J.K. Simmons, Walton Goggin, Zachary Quinto, uh, Stephen Ewan, Sandra Oh, Sandra o, yeah, and Beats. Clancy Brown, Mark yeah. Hamill, um, Seth Rogen's in here, John Hamm. So um, it's – and we really – I think it's fair to say we've both really enjoyed the season yeah. uh, up until the finale episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, the main sort of, I guess, the dramatic tension of a film has been about the character of uh, Mark Grayson, mm -hmm. who is the son of Nolan Grayson, whose alter ego is Omni-Man, yes. the essential of a Superman of this universe. Yeah. Uh, a, an indestructible alien who has to date protected Earth from you know, all sorts of threats. Uh, yes. and in, at the end of episode one, we see uh, Nolan, Omni-Man, kill brutally kill the yeah. rest of the guardians of a globe who are essentially the justice league. Yes. Um, and he absolutely destroys slaughters. I mean, one of the most brutally shocking scenes yeah. I have seen live action or otherwise. Yeah. It's incredibly well done. Yep. Yep. It's awesome. It's awesome. And um, slowly throughout the, the show, it's, kind of been a, 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 a series of two, two stories where it's kind of, the the birthing of Mark's superpowers as he find they finally kind of activate within him and him becoming a superhero known as Invincible, and then cutting away. They never actually legitimately call him invincible until like much much later. It's always cut off. 
um, him coming to understand what kind of superhero he's going to be as well versus the opposite side of that is his father being this lauded superhero, the, the most potent, powerful person on the planet and his turn to the dark side, it seems. And then it's not until these last two episodes that we really get the two of them on a collision course finally. And it's powerful. Oh, it is. The the, the drama between uh, mm. Nolan and Mark is it's next level, right? Yeah. Um, the fight scene is is really well done. Um, <laughs> so essentially the, the, the gist of the last couple of episodes is Mark, uh, so we, sorry, uh, Debbie Grayson, Nolan's wife, yeah. has become aware of the fact that he killed the Guardians, mm. um, the CIA type, you know, uh, agency uh, who uh, work with Nolan are aware of it, uh, mm. and they indicate that only Mark might be the only person on Earth who has a chance of going toe-to-toe and stopping yeah. Omni-Man or, or, or Nolan, if you want to call him that. Mm. Um, and Nolan wants, basically comes clean with his truth of mm. where he, he's told his son, you're an alien from such and such a planet. Uh, I can't remember what the aliens are called. It's called them Kryptonians because it just randomly... Uh, Viltrumites. Uh, they send protectors out to different parts of the world, the universe. Oh, to, we're back in the moment. Sorry. Um, we might be getting our co-host. Uh, are we getting our co-host? If um, oh, I don't think so. I think he's taking a comfort stop, ladies and gentlemen. This never happens. Um, so um, where was I? So uh, Nolan comes comes clean with, with Mark about the truth of what a Viltrumite actually does. They're not sent out as protectors to protect the universe they have a far more dark and nefarious purpose uh behind them um i should probably have put the spoiler warning up you did put the spoiler warning up it's at the bottom of the screen you've been warned um viltrumites uh rather than being sort of that really sort of you know helpful sort of kryptonian sort of way of doing things to protect us they in fact are yeah, a, a giant universe sort of galactic empire type thing who are trying to take over as many planets as possible. And one of their tactics of doing so is sending out loyal soldiers like Nolan uh, to uh, go onto worlds they're interested in taking over in future and basically weaken it from the inside, which is what Nolan sees himself as having done when killing the Guardians is basically weakening the planet in order to make a future um, invasion by the Viltrumites um, uh, easier or, or, or less likely to face resistance. Um, and he would like Mark's help to, to come along with him and actually help him, you know, continue to undermine or weaken Earth's defences in order to assist in this potential future invasion. Mark is not particularly pleased at this in, um, idea, as one might imagine, and shit goes down. Uh, between Mark and Nolan uh, in one hell of a fight. Uh, but as George was sort of indicating there before he took off. Um, so anyway, I was holding the fish and I just said, that's it, I've had enough. Uh, you can take the Coke, I'm going home. Oh, you're back. Um, <laughs> sorry, podcast listeners will have no idea what I'm just talking about there. Um, George just rejoined us. Um, so some of the some of the actual the drama between Mark and Nolan during the showdown between them is incredibly brutal. Like at one point, 
Mark sort of asks him, what about mom? And he, no one's like, do you have any idea how long we live for? We live for thousands of years. Your mom is more, of course I care about your mom. She's more like a pet. Um, uh, you're a mute or something because I can't hear you. Um, just in case you're trying to talk. Um, uh, your mum is like a pet, which is kind of a brutal thing to say to a kid. Um, and once it becomes clear that I think I can hear you now, say something. No, no, no audio from you, sir. Um, so that, no. yes, it's a bit crackly, but I can hear you now. Okay. Cool, that's better. Cool, groovy. Cool. <laughs> so uh, the line I was saying is at one point once it becomes Mark clear, but Mark is not going to join Nolan in trying to sort of continue to weaken Earth. He makes it something like, oh, I can always have another one. What's another 17 years? Yeah, like, it's ooh, brutal. Yeah, and just the, in, in many ways, this, the way that they kind of fight, it's like the, the next level version of how WandaVision treated the vision version thing. And they had a, a very, you know, I appreciated them doing something, something different where we're kind of doing meeting, meeting of the minds and conversing and talking, talking through. This was kind of 17 years of, of none pent up rage and three of having to wait, then seeing disappointment that his son isn't just like him to validate all of that hate and vitriol and wetting that he has had to, to do. He's just beating and beating beating and it's just he's kind of smashing his smashing his head against the brick wall try, trying to, to explain his his reason, reasons for everything that he's done and his there's mark mark is called you're my dad what the fuck are you doing this is this is you what's going on it's it's just played so well just FYI, i'm getting a serious echo from you now that wasn't there before you went to the bathroom Okay, um, let's try. So uh, George is 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 right there. We, uh, I don't understand the idea of trying to bash someone's head against a brick wall and trying to change their mind about something. But then again, yeah. I'm not a sociopathic superhero. Um, <laughs> I think that we know of. That we know of. That's better. No <laughs> echo. Um, and the brutality of that fight is something else. Um, yeah. And it really, you know, Nolan sort of comes out as being a complete sociopath at, at yeah. this point in time, like. Uh, and it's actually kind of terrifying. Um, some of the fight scenes, um, it just sort of shows that Nolan's done an incredible job of fooling the world for a very long time because yeah. it becomes very obvious that he has no respect or regard for humanity at all. Mm. They're, they're nothing more than insects or bugs to him. He, like he'll, he almost uses the, the murder of people as a tool to basically yeah. attack Mark. Yeah, is a, is a point in time where he he. A fight falls into a, a subway station in Chicago and a train's coming in. He basically uses Mark as a tool to rip the train in two and murder hundreds of people yeah. in the process. He yeah. throws Mark through a building which then collapses and kills God knows how many people. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know what, uh, the thought occurred to me while I was watching it. Mm. I don't know if you remember. The film Brightburn that came out a couple of years ago with Elizabeth, yes. Bank, with Elizabeth Banks, yeah, um, and how interesting it looked in the trailers, and then we went and saw it. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's a bit, that's a bit of a letdown. Um, everything that Brightburn should have been 
Invincible is. Yeah. As I mean, well the, as the fight between Superman and Zod at the end of Man of Steel. This. This. <laughs> I mean, this is what it is. That is this is that scene with an R rating, which obviously Warner would never have the balls to let. I mean, I don't think you could do what this film does in live action. No, no. They, it would, they, they just wouldn't. I, it wouldn't I just get don't trust anyone get, going, yeah, okay, yeah, put that on film. Yep, that's cool. We'll Not even a studio. That. Let's say Jeff Bezos decided to fund it himself. Yeah. You know, like, I want to see an invincible live action film. I, I don't think a census it would let it be, I don't think it would get a rating. I just, yeah. It just wouldn't be. It could be barely released. You know, for for something to not get rated and just this level of kind of insanity, for something where it is just pure violence. There's no sexual violence or anything like that, or racially charged attitude to it. This is just sociopathic, cold-blooded brutality, and it's wow. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, the idea behind Brightburn was what if Superman, what if Ben Affleck were right? Yeah. In, in, in Ben Affleck's Batman was right in Batman and Superman. If there's a 1% chance he's our enemy, we have to treat it as an absolute certainty, which yeah. was one of the great shames of that film for me was because it was a cool idea. Yeah. Um, but if we go to Brightburn, what if Superman was, what if he wasn't friendly? Um, yeah. what would we do about that? Uh, if anything, um, and that's a terrifying thought if you put yourself into the shoes of the character in our universe and they just fucked it up with that film, something shocking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one they've just finally got it, they've kind of real and they've got a real talent behind it in, in, in mm. Kirkman, um, who knows how to tell a story and knows how to tell a shocking and the brutal mm. story. Um, and we are all the richer for it. It's a Mm -hmm. fantastic show we've talked at length in the previous about the voice actors uh yeah. the animation's great fun um there's even there's some some of the jokes are fun too right yeah i i love the way it ends as well you've got that montage of all the shit happening on earth and you've just got mark and um alan the alien just kind of just talking on the moon and like yeah i think i'm gonna go back to uh, you know study <laughs> Oh, that's that's so good. That's that just youthful optimism. Oh, things are fucked up, and I'm so excited that they've already greenlit two more seasons. Two more seasons. Of this. Well, this has been very highly rated. The IMDb mm -hmm. rating is eight point nine for the uh, season. Mm -hmm. uh, it is rated, I think, number fifty for TV shows now in the top two fifty. Um, so it's it was really good for something that really yeah. flew in under the radar and just yeah. popped up on, on Amazon without me even having heard of it. I was, uh, what a treat. Yeah. Um, so warnings though, if yeah. you do not like brutal, incredibly brutal violence, even mm. animated. Yeah. Incredibly brutal violence. If you're very sensitive about that kind of thing, do yeah. not watch this show. Um, Absolutely. I guess if you're also triggered by, you know, fucked up parent son relationship, mm. you know, um, Current child relationship, you might be a little triggered by some of this as well. So, yeah, other than those sort of categories, if you can stand a bit of violence, um, I, I think I would recommend this. We would continue to recommend this. Yeah. It tied a bow in this beautifully. Yes, and I'm just so looking forward to to where it goes from here as well. Exactly, there's so many places to take it. Yeah, after Omni Man is still alive, is he going to come yeah. back with the Dilktramites? How do you protect yourself against that? You know, yeah. and is it really fucked up? 
that the idea occurred to me is what Mark really should be doing to defend the Earth against the Viltrumite invasion. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is pretty fucked up. So, okay. um, audience, this is just the logic of a show. I'm not saying this is a thing. It, <laughs> We're going to get people behind the curtain, ladies and gentlemen. What, what would perfect Earth against Viltrumites better than more Viltrumites? So, oh, you Mark, want a breeding farm? Isn't that what um, the, the Seth Rogen's character at the end of a film said? Like, I, I have to, uh, we had to have, I was born in a breeding farm. I never met my parents because that's how his civilization was destroyed by the Viltrumites. So, um, Mark probably should be ensuring there are a large number of Viltrumites available to defend the planet. Damn. Damn, so do it, not it, vote this guy into any form of power, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be doing some fucked up shit before you know it. This is, uh, <laughs> this is really a setup for Invincible XXX, the porn parody. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing this to save the planet. Honest. <laughs> I, you know, I, just, I don't know where the ideas come from, but just... Don't ask me to explain my art to you. um i did you want to have a chat about uh the new michael b jordan film yeah i will actually um so i was looking for something else to watch something to talk about and um michael b jordan has proven himself to be a very competent very capable very likable actor and he has been popping up in more and more um, roles that have continued to impress. Like he has been one of the standout characters and um, actors in Black Panther when he played Killmonger. It was a fantastic role for him. It was great. He proved his metal in the um, the Creed movies as well, kind of following on the legacy of what was laid down by Rocky. Um, and um, the the movie that kind of helps escalate him to to where he is now is Chronicle, the the, the found footage Josh Trank movie before Josh Trank went off and did Fantastic Four. Whoops. Um, so Michael B. Jordan has built up quite a quite a roster and quite a cachet of respectability as an actor, and so him coming in and doing a new show, uh, a new movie for Amazon based on what well, it's got the moniker of Tom Clancy. I don't know if it's actually based on one of Tom Clancy's novels because a lot of stuff gets produced with Tom Clancy's dot, dot, dot to it. But this is a movie called without remorse. It comes from Amazon studios and it's an interesting one. It's got a lot of, potential there's there's some good actors in it i'm just going to pull up wow. i see michael b jordan in here i see jamie bell guy pierce yep and uh, no, i don't think i've heard of any of the others um and it's 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 really hard to say it's sitting um on a 42 for metascore which i think is a bit unfair but i can see where they're coming from because for those not in the know. John Clark, Michael B. Jordan's character, is a Navy SEAL. It's a theme this week, apparently. He goes on a path to avenge his wife's murder, only to find himself inside a larger conspiracy. And that that is the story in a nutshell. Um, but 
it kind of plays a bit more like a kind of think something like taken or one of those kind of overpowered highly trained characters on a quest of vengeance revenge however you want to phrase it death death to his enemies um and it tries to do more with uh, like a conspiracy angle there's cia versus black ops kind of back and forth and clandestine operations and people backstabbing and politics playing into it and that because every now and then they keep peppering in this this notion that someone's trying to start a new world war but they never really follow on from that too much and it's just like this like a cloud in the sky that's permanently there never dropping any rain it's just there kind of so like oh yes tomorrow we strike no i mean if we're gonna do it this time no yeah and it just it, it's kind of frustrating because there's a lot of potential in there a lot of intrigue is built up and the actors are good in their roles michael b jordan is fucking cool as a navy sail navy seal and jamie bell is great as a fucking asshole who works for the cia but he still looks in place when he's going through with the the squad and stuff like that guy pierce is being guy pierce and he is kind of a generic political figure in this movie so he doesn't really get much to do and it there's, there's elements of it that feel a little bit like uh, man on fire the the tony scott movie from like nearly 18 years ago maybe um but it doesn't reach those levels of brilliant violence it and there's not any of the political intrigue that you get with a lot of the typical tom clancy stuff or the what they've been doing trying to do more with the jack ryan tv series on amazon with uh john krasinski it it feels like it's trying to do too much and not actually focusing on okay we know what we want to do and we're going to just deliver that it's really frustrating and it feels long it feels long i don't actually know how long it is but it just feels long and this is kind of yeah an hour 49 minutes so this is yeah. the same length as um as um, siege. yeah well come back yeah sorry yeah. or under siege or about the same as yeah both mortal combat and under siege we talked about earlier yeah though where those two movies had a very set style in mind this doesn't and it just keeps on teetering from one side to another and it's really frustrating because you get these moments where there's just characters sitting around a table talking and it's like okay you're, you're going to try and go oh no you're, you're moving back to back to action ish okay oh and then the final kind of shootout sequence and the the last uh, 20 minutes is cool to a point but it never feels like it really kicks into gear they are stuck they're trapped these guys are trapped and it's like okay this is a this is where they're gonna really just kind of let everything hang out and they're just gonna go whoa nope they don't and it's like okay you it's a bit of a shame really because the character of um john clark or john kelly depending on what you want to call him michael b jordan's character yeah is character we've seen in other tom clancy films mm. uh willem dafoe 
played him in, in Clear and Present Danger. Lee Schreiber played him in the Ben Affleck, Some of All Fears. Yep. Um, and it's all connected, right? Like other characters in this film are yeah. uh, Jodie Turner-Smith, who plays Lieutenant Commander Karen Greer, um, and I think she's related to James Greer, um, who is in the original with Jack Ryan's friends. Yeah, I think it was yeah. The, um, it, what are the uh, the admirals or something in the in the uh, was it? Um, I think Star Vader's voice played him. Um, <laughs> Vader's voice played him. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head. Um, but um, you know who I'm talking about. Um, but it, it, we will never refer to James L. Jones. James L. Jones. His name escaped me there for a minute. Um, <laughs> now renamed Darth Vader's voice. I mean Mufasa's voice. Um, <laughs> That's better. Thank you. Um, so there is a lot of – those have been very successful films. Yeah. So yeah. what does everybody want now? A shared universe. Mm-hmm. So the Clancyverse could easily be a thing if you actually put the right yeah. amount of effort in. And actually, I mean, they've been, I mean, in fairness, they have been less successful since the, the Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan films uh, and getting those off the ground. But if you could, it would be worth spending the time and money to get it right because I think, did you sit through the credits? Uh, No. There is a mid-credit scene that apparently introduces Rainbow Six, the second film or something, or the rest of a Rainbow Six team or something like that. Okay. Um, So maybe this is actually aiming to do something. Um, The mid-credit scene introduces the beginning of the second film, Rainbow Six. Okay, because um, there's there's a lot of projects in there. There's John Krasinski's Jack Ryan series that's in Amazon. There's this, which is Amazon, um, and they're trying to. Get, there's there's still the uh, Jake Gyllenhaal uh, John um, John Clancy the, the Division movie, which and the this Rainbow Six, and again that's bringing in the video games thing. I see Rainbow um, Six was originally a book. I'm guessing so. Without Remorse was a book, by the way. Oh, okay. It was well, optioned I... in 1993. Wow. This, is, this has been in development for almost 30 years. Jesus. It kind of feels like it because there's n- – the, like with the action sequences, they feel like they're missing modernization. And, you know, there's, there's I, I don't mean that by going, oh, it's more CGI or anything like that, but just the innovations of how you do an action sequence. Like you think about the, the stuff that, you know, the action sequences that have been filmed in any war movie from 1994 to present day. They get the camera in there. There's motion in the camera. You think of Paul Greengrass and what he did with the Bourne movies and how he just put this agency into the camera behind those action sequences. And that's all missing. It's 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 weird. It's weird. The writer of his film, Taylor Sheridan, wrote Sicario. Um, which, which is, is awesome. A fucking great movie with some very cool action scenes. He also wrote the second Sicario film, which I haven't seen, but I understand it's all right. Um, so it's it's interesting that someone could write something that good. But, I mean, the director I've less knowledge of, Stefano Salima. Yeah, he directed Sicario 2, which I have not watched. Um, uh, and not much else. 
that yeah. I've seen about the TV. Yeah, there's a lot of TV, um, but it's it's not badly directed. It's just uninspired. And... Well, so the difference between is, is, is he's not Uwe Boll. No, he's, you know he's um, you know Paul W S Anderson is who he is. Yeah, kind of, kind of. It's like it's it's overall a a movie that gets from beginning to end, and it kind of does what it's trying to do but it just feels like it's big you know lebowskiing its way through it's like okay there's there's no pace here there's no heartbeat and michael b jordan is just he's still fucking jacked from the time to where he's been apollo creed and killmonger and he just looks fucking hardcore and it just you look like he's you want him to kind of go okay go fucking nuts get your goddamn revenge and he's just like all right all right, not yet. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> like, just let him go. <laughs> it sounds like it's a waste of its star. Yeah, it is. And I think that um, Michael B. Jordan actually helped produce this. I think I think he was already an executive producer on it or something like that. Um, oh, Akiva <laughs> yeah. Goldsman was one of the producer names. And yeah, Michael B. Jordan was a producer. Akiva Goldsman is a bit of a wet blanket when it comes to a lot of stuff. Like he is, yeah, the, yeah he is responsible for Batman <laughs> and Robin in many ways, and he has a he's, he's a very safe producer. He he won't really kind of go balls to the walls, and that kind of explains a lot. I think the anti Bruckheimer. Yeah, yeah. Th- this needed a bit of Bruckheimer, honestly. <laughs> so it's. It's not a bad movie, and if you are a real, real Tom Clancy fan, you may very well enjoy it. But otherwise, there's it's not got anything to for me to really recommend it. If you got Pat, if you got Amazon, and you're bored, yeah. Um, and yeah, don't watch Invincible instead because it's much better. Yeah, um, <laughs> so honestly, yeah. I just I I gotta be honest. I'm gonna give people a piece of free advice. If you see anything advertised as Tom Clancy's, whatever, Mm. you almost know it's almost certainly gonna be shit house. Unless it's got Harrison Ford in it. In terms of movies, now video games, Mm. it's a bit murkier. But if if a film Mm. or a TV show says Tom Clancy's, the Tom Clancy's, you know, uh, Citizen Kane. No, I'm not interested. (laughs) You know, like, actually, no, that would probably be very entertaining, you know. (laughs) That would be weird. Um, Code code name Rosebud. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, But I I would be very skeptical of anything that markets itself as Tom Clancy's uh, boot. And it's not like it's a tagline. It's the name of a film. It's Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. Yeah. Yeah, it's always that is always part of the fucking title. It's always, 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 always. Now, I talked about my with, without remorse, and I have somewhat remorse for watching it. So that's you know irony, I guess. Tell me about the dark side of the ring, Travis. Tell I caught the first episode of the new season of Dark Side of the Ring. I don't think we might have talked about it last year or the year before because we are now mm-hmm. up to the third season mm-hmm. um, of of the show. Um, it is about the wrestling industry because mm. they they uh, did quite quite a one about um, 
Chris Benoit. Am I right? They did. That was the premiere mm. of season mm. two. Mm. Uh, was and it was a two parter, and it was excellent. Mm. Um, now season three has just opened its first episode um, the other day. Or it was on YouTube, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, IMDb says it hasn't premiered yet. So okay, that's interesting. <laughs> it was on YouTube. I swear to God, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't upload it. It was there, and I pressed play. Sure. Um, <laughs> I know people. How, how else am I going to get my hands on an unreleased HBO TV show? Um, <laughs> but uh, so the the gist of the show is anybody who's familiar with the world of professional wrestling, or even if you're not, you're probably familiar with it's it's kind of an industry where people do kind of end up dying young mm. a lot, and sometimes in very dramatic fashion. Uh-huh. Chris Benoit being a, a perfect example. Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar with the story of Chris Benoit. I strongly recommend watching season two of um, Dark Side of Ring because it's, it's quite a story. Um, but uh, it, it essentially explores uh, in each episode usually a different uh, life and times, if you will, of mm. a different professional wrestler. Uh, and we're not talking just like, you know, oh, the life and times of John Cena. He was really popular in WWE and then started making movies and he's still really popular. Mm-hmm. Hooray! Um, it, it would take some of the darker, as the title of the um series it will indicate, Dark Side of a Ring. It takes mm-hmm. some of the darker stories of the of the world of professional wrestling and tells those stories. So, yeah. for example, um, Chris Benoit um was arguably one of the best or one of the best professional wrestlers in the world. Certainly, one of the most pro- pro- um popular mm-hmm. professional wrestlers in the world, more respected wrestlers in the world. Uh, who, after a you know glittering career, ended up murdering his wife and son and and killing himself over yep. the course of a weekend. The weekend, mind you, he was supposed to win a world title. Yeah. Um. So there's a story there, right? How does that happen? Yeah. Um. And obviously, that when it happened, there was a lot of story about like roid rage, and I think mm-hmm. that sort of um started talking the conversation around CTE and concussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another episode in season two was the, was the assassination of Dino Bravo, who was a yeah. Canadian professional wrestler who was gunned down in his house. And the murder, I don't think that murder was ever solved. Because um, uh, he, he just happened to also be working as a mob enforcer. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine that those two things are connected, but. No. Uh, <laughs> so um, it, it's um, narrated by Chris Jericho. Um, mm-hmm. If you again, if you're familiar with the world of professional wrestling, you probably, well, you must know who Chris Jericho is. If you're yeah. not, then you should educate yourself. He's the lead singer of the band Fozzy and yep. and has a very entertaining podcast. So, yes. episode uh, season three opens with a story of Brian Pillman. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Pillman uh, was a was a very successful professional wrestler in the '90s, and this show explores his early career, how he found his way into the world of professional wrestling, and then his early career. His lack of success, his need to earn more money led to the creation of the Loose Cannon character. I don't know if you're old enough mm, to remember I Brian remember Cannon. Loose Cannon, Brian yeah. Cannon, Loose Cannon, um, which was kind of his his real moment in the in the stars, his moment of genius. Yeah. Um, it really changed the the, the the game a little bit there. It was a real game changer in professional wrestling, which yeah. you know, I can just see people at home <laughs> going, professional fucking wrestling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... I guess if you're not, I would be interested, be fascinated to know 
what a, a, a person who didn't know anything about professional wrestling would think of a show like this because I don't imagine it's one they would expect to tune into. Yeah. Because you, you know, oh, it's about wrestling. I'm not interested in that fake shit. Um, and that's, I guess, this is the real side of the fake shit, right? I guess wrestling is is choreographed. It's yeah. Pre predetermined. But this is the real side of it. So Brian Pillman eh, had a little bit of trouble keeping it in his pants, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so uh, had it's so rare in the wrestling world. Uh, no, most of them are so well adjusted. People mm -hmm. in bed by nine, up yep. at six a.m. doing, mm -hmm. saying their prayers, taking their vitamins, having um, their Cheerios. <laughs> um, but he had like five or six kids, or some crazy amount of kids, mm -hmm. and he needed to be able to earn enough money to, you know, uh, I guess get ahead for himself, keep support them. At the same time, um, you'd be unsurprised that professional wrestlers have a short lifespan. Mm -hmm. they, I mean, whether it's fake or not, they put their bodies through a lot of stress yeah. in that industry. So um, there'll be a two-part of it. I mean, um, spoiler alert, Brian dies. <laughs> um, <laughs> because he did. Um, um, but, yeah, it's uh, – I think – I don't know. Have you watched it at all? Haven't had a chance, but uh, I see that it is on SBS On Demand here mm. in Australia. Yeah, I, I think you would enjoy it because you're a bit of a fan and you remember some of his really? stuff. And yeah. so there's some nostalgia of it for me because I vaguely remember Brian um, mm. or, you know, the earlier episodes. I was a big fan of Chris Benoit. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Was one of my, he was one of my favorite wrestlers. And so yeah. when that happened, I was just shocked. Um, mm. And the, the production values of each episode are really quite good. Cool. Um, there are a lot of reenactments. Um, so they have lots of guys they shoot from the back in shadowy yeah. environments who look a little bit like if you squid, look a little bit like Brian Pillman oh, or somebody. Right. Um, Please tell me it's slightly better than those Crime Stopper reenactments. Oh, it's better things. than that. It's better than that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 um you know slow mo guy walking to the ring. We're shooting him from the back. He just happens to have a blonde mullet. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he's wearing a jacket like Brian used to wear. It's the 80s and 90s. That could be any wrestler with a mother. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's, they, they interview, depending on the episode, they talk to some very interesting people. In this episode, we're talking to Brian's sister, a couple of his kids. Stone Cold Steve Austin was a close friend yeah. uh, of Brian Pillman, you know, Jim Ross, um, those sorts of people who, who there's a lot of people either still alive actually knew um the guy in the um involved and they would have some insight into you know um his story and benoit's one was particularly fascinating because chris jericho was a close friend of yeah of chris they, they kind of came up together and so yeah. he he does a great podcast episode and if you if you really mm -hmm. want to go down that rabbit hole but um look it's a bit niche if you're not a fan of professional wrestling i would say watch it and just put your brain your, your predetermined bias that professional wrestling is bullshit mm. aside for a second, just check out a couple of episodes. Check out the Benoit episode if that's on your if that's available where you live. Mm -hmm. um, it's really good. You know me. I love a good documentary. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really solid TV documentary about a really interesting story uh, mm -hmm. and features, some, as I said, some people who really know some shit about what happened. Yeah. Uh, and if you can evolve it slightly cheesy, reenactments and stuff is yeah I, I yeah i i think you might have some good time of it if you are a pro wrestling fan a bit like george and i are from our childhood i think you're gonna have a i think you're gonna enjoy this show i guess it is a dark side of it so yeah. maybe if that bothers you give it a miss but if that 
I don't see how it could if you're a wrestling fan because yeah. it's the industry, man. Like they, they all die yeah. young. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a cliche. So, but I think if you are a pro wrestling fan and you're not watching this, you're doing yourself a massive disservice. Um, I don't know how I ended up watching episode one. Maybe I imagined it. Um, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time someone someone tonight did ask me how old I was, and I had to stop and think about it for a while. And my first answer was not the correct answer. Uh, so, you know, uh, I've got that going for me. Uh, so uh, maybe I imagined it, but I imagined it was pretty good. All right, all right. <laughs> this is such a weird final statement. <laughs> I imagine it was pretty good. I said I might have imagined it. I can't. I'm a complete muppet. I can't be certain of anything. <laughs> Reality is fluid. <laughs> Are you here? Was it, am I just standing in a hitting my head on a padded wall? <laughs> no, strangely enough, you're still you're still actually twelve years old in the hairdressers getting your hair cut ready for the first day of new term. This is sound like your improv. Okay, you're a twelve year old. You're getting your hair cut. <laughs> you're in a barber. It's first day of school, and go. <laughs> All right. Well, that pretty much brings us to the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. We are clocking in at just under the two-hour mark for the first time in a long time. But just to have a recap, we talked about our chain movie of the week, which is Under Siege. We are going to be going on to Natural Born Killers next week, thanks to Travis. We talked about the season finale of Invincible. We talked about the uh, movie at uh, the movies, Mortal Kombat. Um, I talked about a little bit of disappointment uh, without remorse, care of Amazon Studios, and Travis just talked um, a quite a relatively glowing review of the possibly the start of season three of Dark the alleged Star start of season three. Yes. Yeah, just a quick note on that. Obviously, because this is essentially documentary uh, focusing on particular elements, it's a series that you don't need to watch in order or anything like that. You can pick and choose, right? With to a degree, obviously, um, like I said, episode one, the start of season two was a two-parter. So yeah. episode one and two were both about Chris Benoit. So if you jump into episode two mm. without episode one, I suspect it's not going to make anywhere near as much sense. <laughs> season three will be the same. It will be a two-parter. Mm -hmm. um, at, at least, yes, the spirits are telling me it will be. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> uh, it will be a two-parter. And apparently it, it debuted tomorrow um <laughs> i'm talking to a future travis i don't know it, it says tomorrow um it has officially uh, broken with reality i don't know um so confused um it um it, it will so it will premiere tomorrow despite the fact that i have already seen it um and i believe both episodes are premiering on whatever streaming service it's mm. on in the states uh vice it's a vice uh, yes. series so yes. it'll be premiering both episodes tomorrow so if you come to this podcast in future and you just want to start with episode two for some reason in season three remember it's a two-parter and you need mm -hmm. to go back and but otherwise you're right like each episode is a different mm. self-contained story about a different figure great cool um 
Next week, obviously, we will talk about natural born killers, but I haven't got anything particularly on my dance card to to talk about, so I'll have to find a few bits. I have decided to start rewatching my way through Dexter because the teaser trailer for the revival series of that has come through. I've watched, I think, maybe the first three or four seasons in the past, and then lost interest. So I'm going to see if it has aged any better, but. Um, Hopefully, I'll have something more compelling to talk about next week. Well, we, we usually find something. Yeah, yeah, we'll find something. We'll find something. I do one. One of the things that I do want to get around to watching is actually the death of Stalin. Mm, I and have seen is, that. It is very good. Yeah, yeah, Armando Anucci is brilliant. So I, I have high hopes for it. Well, I won't talk it up any more than necessary. You don't need to. You don't need to. I'm already sold. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining along. Thank you, Mon Luis, in the chat for um, agreeing with me that Travis is terrible for thinking uh, that DOA is good movie. Maybe I didn't like it and I just imagined I did. <laughs> just do not trust anything Travis says. It could very well just be we a through looking glass here, people. <laughs> Until next week, thank you very much. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, please go to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, where you can actually also donate to us, as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash Productions or facebook.com slash Productions. Thank you, and see you next time. Bye-bye.